Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. You know, the fact is, we're all in this great drama that began many years before and will continue many years after we die. This drama is very real. It's the story of a conflict between the two most powerful beings in the universe, God and Satan. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. In the Bible, there is a being who is known by many names, the tempter, the serpent, the father of lies, the prince of this world. But most of us just know him as Satan. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress exposes the invisible war that Satan is waging on every follower of Christ. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Did you ever think you'd live to see a day when young children would be encouraged by school teachers and sometimes even their parents to pick and choose their preferred gender or to declare a tie and choose to be non-binary? Well, that day has come, and arguably these are symptoms of spiritual warfare. On this first day in the month of August, I'm launching a brand new study that's intended to expose the enemy's tactics. And more importantly, it's designed to equip you for victory, not only on issues related to the public square, but on matters that are deeply personal. My series is called The Divine Defense. God wants us to triumph in our personal and spiritual lives, but it doesn't always feel that way, does it? In our day-to-day struggles with repeated sin and failures, doubts and temptations, feeling like a victor is certainly a rare accomplishment, not to mention the times in which we live. Gender confusion, inflation, social upheaval, these are frightening times and the enemy likes it that way. But God has left us a battle plan to turn the tables on Satan. I've written a best-selling book that complements this study. Like the series, my book is also called The Divine Defense, and a copy is yours when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. I'll say more about the book later, but right now, let's get started with the first message in this series. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6 for a message I've titled, The Purpose-Driven Strife. It was the legendary film director Alfred Hitchcock who once said, There are no small parts, only small actors. I tried to comfort myself uh, with those words many years ago when I had a bit part in the legendary television program, Dallas. Remember Dallas on television a number of years ago where they used to come to Dallas every summer to film some of the episodes. And so one summer, many years ago, they put out a casting call. They were looking for extras. And so on a lark, I sent my picture in to the casting agent. And a few days later, he called me and said, well, we want you to play a bit part in Dallas. And he gave me instructions of where to show up the next day here at a local hotel. My part was to be a businessman, a businessman seated at a table talking to another businessman in the background while two of the main characters, Bobby Ewing and Cliff Barnes, were in the forefront carrying on a dialogue. And so the next morning, I was excited and I went to the filming location And I immediately learned the difference between a major star and a bit player. (laughs) 
When I walked in, I saw that the stars had these dressing rooms and these luxury trailers to change into their costumes. And those of us who were extras were told to go into the bathroom to change into our costume. Well, that's okay. I wasn't going to let that diminish my excitement that morning. And so we went into the restaurant where we were filming the scene. And the assistant director had me and my dining companion seated. And he said, now, when the director says action... You're to talk to uh, your fellow businessman here. And here's the second difference between a major star and a bit player. They said, now, when you start talking, don't actually talk. We don't want to hear anything you have to say. Just mouth the words so you don't interfere with the filming. So the director yells, action. About 20 seconds of dialogue goes on between Bobby and Cliff. And at the end of the 20 seconds, the director yells, cut, print, moving on. The assistant director comes up and says, thank you very much for your part, and uh, we'll send you a check in the mail. You're dismissed. And that was it. I come on, do a little bit of action, then I'm told, your part is finished, there's a reward coming later on. And I thought, you know, what a great metaphor of life itself. You know, the fact is, we're all in this great drama that began many years before and will continue many years after we die. And that day I was part of a drama. It was an eternal conflict that had begun many years earlier between the Ewings and the Barn family. And after I played my bit part, the show would go on for years afterwards. I just had a bit part in that drama. You and I are in a conflict as well. We're in a drama that began before we ever were born, and it's a drama that will continue long after we're dead. But unlike the fictional drama, that I was a part of, this drama is very real. It's the story of a conflict not between two families in Texas. It's the story of a conflict between the two most powerful beings in the universe, God and Satan. And this conflict that began in eternity past and continues today and will into the future, this conflict is being played out on the front page of every newspaper and in the hidden recesses of every human heart. And you will never understand the problems you face every day until you understand this eternal conflict that is going on between God and his chief of staff, Satan. And what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the origin of this conflict that began many years ago. Who started it? How is it being played out today, and what is the enemy's goal in this conflict in your life? Let's talk for a moment about the chief antagonist in this drama. His name is Satan. You know, there are many people today who deny the existence of a personal devil. Ken Woodward, writing in Newsweek magazine a few years ago, said, Satan is merely a trivial personification who can hardly and inadequately explain the origin of evil. Some people just dismiss the idea of Satan altogether as a real person. Other people who don't deny the devil's existence try to diminish uh, his power. Uh, They turn him into a comic uh, book character. Sometimes Satan is portrayed as this little guy in a red suit with horns and a tail who runs around with a pitchfork poking people in the backside. And we all laugh at those uh, cartoons. We think they're hilarious. Or remember a few years ago on Saturday Night Live, Dana Carvey had this memorable character, the church lady. Remember the church lady? 
She was that bitter uh, elderly woman, sanctimonious, and any time a question or problem would come up, she would ask the question, could it be Satan? And everybody would howl in laughter. Anytime she would talk about Satan. Not only did the audience laugh, I think Satan laughs as well. He loves people to think of him at that, in that way, as a comic book character. After all, who needs to be afraid of a comic book character? But the fact is, Satan is a very real, he's a very powerful adversary. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be on the alert, be of sober spirit, for your adversary, the devil, prowls about, not like a comic book figure, but like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Today and next week, as we continue our series on spiritual warfare, we're going to unmask our adversary, the devil. We're going to look at his origin. We're going to talk about this conflict that began between God and Satan many years ago, and we're going to discover exactly what he is he's trying to do in your life and my life today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Ezekiel 28 as we talk about the origin of Satan. Ezekiel chapter 28. While you're turning there, I feel compelled to give a pop quiz, okay? It has one question to it, true or false. I love true or false questions. You get a 50% chance of getting it right, okay? Here's the true false question. Satan is the opposite of God, true or false? You know, amazingly, many Christians would answer true to that. They kind of think uh, Satan is God's uh, evil twin. And uh, they see uh, Satan as God's equal, and it's like they're in this eternal tug-of-war contest, and we sit on the sidelines and just hope that the best man is going to win. But nothing could be further from the truth. As we find out in this passage, Satan is not the opposite of God, unlike God Uh, who is eternal, Satan is a creature who has both a beginning and an end. You know, in Psalm 90, verse 2, Moses said about God, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. God has no beginning and he has no end. But neither can be said about Satan. He has both a beginning and an end. And furthermore, unlike God, Satan is not omniscient. That is, he doesn't know everything. He's not omnipresent. He can't be more than one place at a time. He's not omnipotent. He isn't all-powerful. He is a limited creature. Now, in Ezekiel chapter 28, the first 10 verses are a warning, a message being delivered against a very real human leader, the king of Tyre. Uh, God told Ezekiel to go to the king of Tyre and to deliver this message of warning because the king of Tyre was acting in opposition to the will of God. But when we get to verse 12, it's very clear that God is addressing somebody beyond the human leader of Tyre. He is addressing the power behind this human leader. He is addressing Satan himself. Look at verse 12. Ezekiel says, "'You had the seal of perfection.'" full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, and the diamond. You were the anointed cherub who covers, verse 14, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. Verse 15, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. And verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. 
I cast you to the ground. I put you before the kings that they may see you. Now, obviously, this isn't the king of Tyre that God is speaking about. It's obvious that God is addressing the power behind the king, in this case, Satan. Now, we call our adversary Satan. Um, The word Satan comes from a Hebrew word that means uh, adversary. Uh, Sometimes we refer to him as the devil. That comes from a Greek word that means slanderer. But before he gained the name of Satan or devil, he had a much more appealing name. Originally, his name was Lucifer, meaning star of the morning. We get that name from Isaiah 14, verse 12, that we're going to look at in just a moment. Now, from Ezekiel's uh, words here, we can piece together something about Satan's background that is important to understand if we're going to successfully do battle against him. Let me just mention four facts about Satan that emerge out of Ezekiel chapter 28. First of all, Satan is a created being. Write that down. He is a created being. Go back to verse 15 for just a moment. On the day that you were created, underline that in your Bible, they were prepared. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were, underline it again, created until unrighteousness was found in you. God is talking to Satan, and twice he reminds Satan, you are not the creator, you are the creature. You were created. That is, you have both a beginning and an end. Secondly, Satan held an impressive office in God's kingdom. Look at verse 14. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. Now, when he says you were the anointed cherub, he's not referring to his plump pink cheeks, okay? When he talks about a cherub, he is referring to a special class of angels, the cherubim, who had the job of guarding, protecting the holiness of God. And the Bible says that Lucifer was not only a cherub, he was the anointed cherub, which means he was in charge of all of the other cherubim. In other words, Satan was God's gatekeeper. He's the one who decided who got in to see God and those who could not get in to see God. It was a very high position. Notice number three, Satan possessed incomparable wisdom and beauty. Look at verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your, underline this, beauty. You corrupted your wisdom, underline that, by reason of your splendor. Even though he is God's chief antagonist today, Satan still possesses beauty, wisdom, and splendor, which makes him a very dangerous enemy. Notice, fourthly, Satan's pride led to his downfall. Look again at verses 16 and 17. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence, and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the holy mountain of God. I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Now, get this. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. You see, Satan forgot he was a creature. He began to think that he was responsible for his beauty, his splendor, his wisdom. Now, here we have a hint 
at his ouster from heaven. But in Isaiah chapter 14, we find the blow-by-blow description of exactly that war that began in heaven. Turn there for a moment to Isaiah 14 as we look at the fall of Satan. Now, just like Ezekiel's prophecy... Isaiah was told to deliver a prophecy against a human king. In this case, it was the king of Babylon who was acting against the will of God. But now God goes beyond the king of Babylon and he again addresses Satan, the power behind the king of Babylon. Look at what he says in verses 12 through 14 to Satan. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning. Underline that. We get the term Lucifer from that. That's Latin for star of the morning, son of the dawn. For you have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, every time I say I will, I want you to underline it in your Bible. This is what Satan said in his heart. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But here's what I want you to see here. The very first sin was based on this thought. I want something different than what God wants for my life. If you don't hear another thing I say, hear this. The basis for the first sin and every sin since that first sin is that insidious thought, I want something different than what God wants for my life. In your life right now, every sin against God is based on that foundational thought. I want something different than what God wants for my life. Now, I know this is going to offend some people, and I don't mean to be offensive, but I don't want you to dismiss this thought before you really think about it. Whenever we ask ourselves the question, what do I really want in life? We're asking ourselves the same question Lucifer asked himself. And we are dangerously close into falling into the rebellion that Lucifer committed against God. What do I really want in life? That is not the question for a Christian. The question is, what does God want for my life? Now, I know I've taught and preached that God can work through our desires. But even though God can work through our desires, we need to remember that in every human heart, there is that cancer cell of rebellion that we've inherited from our father and our father's father all the way back to Adam. It is that cancer cell of rebellion that says, I want something different than what God wants for my life. That was the basis for the first sin. And because of Satan's sin, his rebellion against God, God cast him out of heaven to planet earth. And so right now, he is working on building a shadow empire that will rival the kingdom of God and one day, at least in Satan's mind, will topple the kingdom of God. And this rival shadow kingdom that Satan is building right now is built on this foundational thought. Life apart from God is both possible and preferable. That is the manifesto. 
That is the foundational philosophy of Satan's kingdom. Life apart from God is both possible and it's really preferable. And Satan is recruiting as many people as he can to be a part of that kingdom. Now, people say, well, wait a minute. Satan's not stupid. Hasn't he read the Bible? Doesn't he know he is not going to succeed in this effort? You're right, Satan's not stupid. He knows what the book of Revelation says. But you know, when somebody is desperate and bitter at the same time like Satan is, the ability for self-delusion is limitless. Even though intellectually he knows he can't succeed, his pride makes him think maybe God won't be able to pull off what he thought he was going to be able to do. This morning while I was drinking my first cup of coffee, I had CNN turned on and... uh, They were recounting the story of a very, very famous evangelist back in the 1980s. At the height of his career, he had a church that had 5,000 in attendance. He had a television program that pulled in $1 million a day in income. People all over the world were following after him. But then he got involved in sexual immorality with prostitutes, and immediately his kingdom ended. Now today, he's trying to rebuild that empire He is convinced he'll be able to regain his former glory. But right now, instead of running 5,000, his church runs about 200. Instead of being all around the world on television, he's on a few cable outlets and taking in a minuscule amount of money. But in his mind, the dream lives on, even though reason says otherwise. Now, that's Satan. Satan really believes that he is going to one day conquer the kingdom of God. Again, hasn't he read the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation says God is sending his son, Jesus Christ, back to this earth to reclaim everything that has been lost. Now, Satan knows that, but he really doesn't believe it's going to happen. Just like many of us here today don't really believe it's going to happen. Oh, we say we do, but let me ask you this morning. If we believe that Jesus Christ was really coming back again, and one day we were really going to stand in front of him and give an account for our lives, wouldn't we live our lives differently than we're living them right now? Satan's desperation, coupled with his bitterness, has caused him right now to launch a full frontal assault, not only against God, but against those of us who are a part of his kingdom. And that war that Satan has launched is being played out in three rounds. Three rounds that we're going to look at next time as we talk about the War of the Worlds. Well, I can't think of a better way to launch this important new study than awakening all of us to the realities of spiritual warfare. Our enemy is real, and those who ignore him do so at their own peril. Our study is called The Divine Defense. All of us, whether we realize it or not, are engaged in an epic battle between good and evil. And at Pathway to Victory, we're taking a stand against the enemy by spreading the light of God's Word into the darkest corners of our nation and world. And we know that God's Word is not returning void because we hear from grateful listeners every day who thank us for shining the light of God's Word into their lives. As someone who's willing to link arms with Pathway to Victory, you play a significant role in bringing light into the dark corners of our culture. 
your gift is channeled directly into providing daily Bible studies like the one you heard today so that people learn how to triumph over the enemy. And today, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'm going to send you my best-selling book, The Divine Defense, as well as a helpful fold-out pamphlet entitled, Equipped for Battle. Together, these resources are designed to help you stand strong against Satan and turn the tables on his attacks. Thanks again for supporting the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Together, we are piercing the darkness with the light of God's Word. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you give a very generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, you're invited to request a copy of the book, The Divine Defense. As an added bonus, we'll also send you the fold-out pamphlet called Equipped for Battle, featuring beautiful full-color imagery detailing the spiritual armor found in Ephesians chapter 6. Ask for the book and the pamphlet when you call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, we'll also send you this month's teaching series on CD and DVD. It's also called The Divine Defense. To request the CD and DVD set, simply call 866-999-2965 or online go to ptv.org. You could always write to us if you'd like, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Satan has developed a plan to ruin your life. And if you aren't wise to his tactics, you could easily become another casualty. Find out more when you join us again Tuesday for Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Join Dr. Robert Jeffress on an unforgettable trip to Israel. You've read about places like the Mount of Olives and the Plain of Megiddo. Isn't it time to see these remarkable sights for yourself? Join us on the Pathway to Victory Bible Prophecy Tour of Israel and sign up before September 30th to receive an early bird discount. To learn more, go to ptv.org.